The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. All right. Two years ago, I was on a committee for our denomination called the Committee of Commissioners, and our duty was to oversee the monies raised by church planters in our denomination. It was a checks and balance system to make sure that there was no money being abused or mishandled or things of that sort. And there was a packet full of church planters. My guess would be two to 300 church planters. And it had listed out all the money that they had raised that year and all the money that they had raised over the extent of their church planting experience. And as you look through that packet, it was common to see church planters that had raised an excess of $300,000 over the course of three years for their ministry. There are some that raised even over $500,000 and some that raised even over $750,000 when they parachute dropped into an expensive place and needed support for the first five years of ministry. Well, in that report was also my name, Dan Jackson. Jacob's Well Church, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And the grand total of what I fundraised, $22,000. By far, by far the lowest in that entire pack. I'm sure people were reading through and thinking, did that thing even happen? I stink at fundraising. Evidently, I stink at fundraising. And yet God is gracious. And here we sit today. You know, about once or twice a month, I will receive a phone call that goes something like this. Hi, is this Pastor Dan? Yes, this is. How can I help you? Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I am with a ministry called such-and-such, and we are reaching out to the people this and that. And we are so excited about our ministry, and I would love just to get together with you and tell you about our ministry sometime. And when I receive those calls, I know what's coming. I know they want to get together, and they want to see if we as a church would support them financially. And so on one hand, I feel very sorry for these people because I know how difficult it is to raise finances. But on the other hand, I don't want to waste their time, nor do I want to waste my time. And so I will say, Joe, I am so excited for your ministry. I'm so excited that God had called you to this mission field. But to be honest, we're, our budget is full. We have already disseminated our money to missionaries, and we already have a missionary on deck to receive support when more becomes available. And then usually I pray for them and wish them well. All of that is good and well. But for me, it can get to the point where my heart starts feeling like missionaries are burdens and not blessings. This past week, I actually wrote to one of my friends And I told him that as I was preparing today's sermon, I realized how much I stink at supporting missionaries, not just monetarily, but more their whole person. And I asked him to forgive me and pray that God's grace would allow me to do it more. In today's passage, the Philippian church is going to model for us how we should care for missionaries, how we should love missionaries, how we should not just see them as a burden, but see them as a blessing to be treasured and to be supported. And so if you would please open up to Philippians chapter 4, we will be looking at verses 14 through 23. It's page 982 in the Red Bible and page 1459 in the Children's Bible. 
as I mentioned, this is the last sermon in the series on Philippians. Just prior to this, Paul revealed to us the secret of contentment, both in tough situations and in terrific situations, that the secret of contentment is that we can do all things through Christ to be content in all situations who strengthens us. Today, we see a fruit of the contentment of the Philippians, that the Philippians, this church that did not have a lot of money, was so content with what they, they had that they were able to give to their missionary, Paul, generously. And so we will learn from the Philippians how we should care for our missionaries. And then we'll learn from Paul why we should support our missionaries. Let's read together verse 14 through 22. Philippians four fourteen. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word today as a people who, who grasp for things to build our kingdom. We come to your word recognizing that we often don't love and care for missionaries as the Philippian church had. And so God, pray today that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would be able to support missionaries, not just generously, but rejoicingly, that it would be our delight. God, we need your Holy Spirit to work in order for that to happen because we want so much to just bring things to ourselves. God, give us the freedom through the power of your gospel to share generously with those who are preaching your word in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, the Philippians demonstrate to us how we should give to missions. The Philippians were very generous in their giving, so much so that in verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They did not seek to give Paul the scraps from the table or the bare minimum, but they sought to take care of their missionary, Paul. And so they gave generously, but they also gave sacrificially, so much so that in verse 19, Paul has to promise them that God will take care of their very needs. Paul is saying that he understands that the Philippian church had given to him 
not seeing how little they could give, but how much they could give, and that God was going to take care of their very needs. 2 Corinthians 9.17 tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, if I'm truthful with myself and with my heart, there are many times that I give begrudgingly because I am supposed to, because I know God wants me to. There are many times that I do not give cheerfully, but out of duty. And so today, through God's word, I want to answer one question. Why should we sacrificially and cheerfully give to missions in 2015? Both individually and as a church, why should we sacrificially and cheerfully give to missions in 2015? You work hard for your money. You work hard for the money that you have, that you use to pay your mortgage and your bills for entertainment. Why should you give some of that to missions in 2015? And as we answer this question, my hope is one of three things would happen. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you don't support missions, my hope is that for the first time, God would spur your heart to give to missions, both joyfully and generously. If you're here today and you are a Christian and you give to missions, my hope is that God would confirm in your heart that this is a good thing, that missionaries are a blessing and not a burden. But if you're here today and you are not a Christian, you do not know Christ as your Savior, my hope is that you would see why we believe God is so glorious and so precious that we would give anything to make Him known. And so let's look to God's Word and see why we should give sacrificially and cheerfully to missions in 2015. The first is this. We should give for the care of the missionaries. The Philippian church was planted by the Apostle Paul, and he went off to continue to plant churches throughout Europe. Philippi was the first church planted on European soil. They tried to keep track of Paul, but Paul would go into towns and he'd proclaim the gospel, and he'd try to plant a church, and he'd often get kicked out of town by the leaders. And so Paul was very hard to keep in touch with. He didn't have Facebook or Twitter or any of those things. And so the Philippian church had lost track of him. Finally, the Philippians found out that Paul was in a Roman prison. And instead of disowning him, they sent support to him, to care for him, to love him. Let's look here and look back up just a little bit in Philippians 4 verse 10. And I want you to see how Paul receives the support from the Philippians, how he interprets their financial support. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Not for my mission, not for the church, not for the kingdom, not for God. All those are true. But how you've renewed your concern for me. This is personal for Paul. He goes on and says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. The Philippian church gave to Paul financially as an extension of their love for Paul. They loved Paul and were not only interested in his his ministry, but showed an interest in him as a missionary. To put it another way, the Philippian church did not simply care about the mission. They cared about the missionary. As the passage continues, you can notice the care that they have for Paul and the love Paul has for them. Verse 14, 
He says, yet it was kind of you to share or to partnership or to fellowship in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel that I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The Philippian church partnered with Paul in very tangible ways, very consistent ways. Through thick and thin, they supplied for him, not only financially, but for his emotional needs and his spiritual needs and his relational needs. As I look at the Philippian church, it is obvious to me that this is where I so frequently fail. Because missionaries are out of sight, out of country, out of city. To be honest with you, they are so often out of my mind. I can so often be concerned about the mission and forget about the missionary. I can so often be concerned about their productivity and how many people came to faith in Christ and how big is the church and how are those things going and yet fail to care for them personally. Stephen Jones was my best friend in seminary. He'll actually be here in a month to share with you what God's doing and to bring you God's word. Stephen and his wife Charity were in Spain planting churches among a Muslim community there. And now they're leaving to move to London, and he'll share more about that with you. But on November 27, 2013, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I received an email from Stephen that he sent out to all of his supporters, and he said this. He said, our son Zion Stephen Jones died yesterday. I'm currently sitting beside my sleeping wife as we wait for her to deliver. We don't have much to request, but we know that the Spirit will translate your prayers to the Father. And then he quotes Psalm 103.2. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You know, one of the most difficult things about being a missionary is you don't have this. You don't have the church. Maybe you have a small small group of folks, but but you're a missionary because you're going to a place where the gospel is needed, where the church needs to expand. And so they don't have this. And so he shares his heart with those who support him and love him. A couple months went by, five months went by. On May 18th, I received another email that he sent out to his supporters. And Stephen said this. He says, we are pregnant again. We're due somewhere near December 30th on the online calendar. Praise God, they just had a healthy baby. We are excited and thankful, not experiencing anxiety about the pregnancy. God has been gracious to us, and really at this moment, I am trusting his plan. But I also must say that even in the midst of a new pregnancy, I am grieving afresh the loss of Zion, their son. And then he says this, I read a book on grief recently, and I think I most resonate with the author saying, that by letting go or moving on or whatever people want to call it, somehow we are saying it is okay that Zion died. And it's not. Death is not okay. And yet God uses it for his glory. Well, I was talking to Stephen a few weeks ago, and I found out that this book that he read, this book that ministered to him so deeply, this book that he had shared with others who had gone through the tragedy of miscarriage, was a book that was sent 
to him in Spain by someone in this church. Was a book, I've never even mailed anything internationally in my life. I don't even know how it works. But a person in this church cared more about the missionary than they did about the mission. And so they sent them this book which comforted their souls. If you give to missions and you think, I have done my duty. We are sadly mistaken. We're not just called to give to missionaries. We're called to love missionaries. We're called to invest in missionaries. Because missionaries, like Paul, are on spiritual islands. They don't have a large church around them like we do to love them and care for them. And that's why we, like the Philippians, must renew our concern for them, share in fellowship in their troubles, and partner in giving and receiving. And so why should we sacrificially and cheerfully give and support missions in 2015? Not only to support the mission, but to support and care for the missionary. Now that's reason enough, but Paul goes on. He says another reason why we should sacrificially and cheerfully give to missions is for the delight of our souls. Verse 16, Paul says, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Of course, Paul was thankful to God for how he had supplied for Paul's needs through the Philippian church. But Paul was even more grateful for the way that the Philippians grew and bore fruit in the midst of their giving. You've heard the saying, which comes from Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But how are the Philippians more blessed in their giving than Paul is in his receiving? How does their giving produce fruit in their lives? How does giving to missions produce fruit in our life? How does it cause joy and rejoicing for our souls? Well, there is something about giving sacrificially to missions that is personally and spiritually invigorating. It's invigorating for a couple reasons. One is because we were made to be part of a mission bigger than ourselves. We were made to build a kingdom bigger than us. We were made to build a kingdom that extends the redemption of God throughout the entire world for all eternity. And we get to partner with God in that ministry. And so giving to mission allows us to be who we were called to be, who we were made to be. But the other reason why giving to missions is so spiritually invigorating is because when we give sacrificially, we have to depend on God to show up and provide for us personally. And that's what Paul says here in verse 19. Paul says this, And my God, see how personal it is? My God will supply every need of yours according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we give to missions sacrificially, not foolishly, but when we give to missions sacrificially, we rest upon the promise found here in verse 19 that God will provide for all of our needs. Let me share with you how Trish and I have experienced that personally. So Trish and I do give 
money to missions. And one of the ways that we have the opportunity to give money to missions is that we heat our house with wood. I've shared that with you before. And so that saves a couple hundred dollars a month in the winter, and that gives us more breathing room to be able to share with missionaries. Well, people often ask me when they come over and they see the fireplace and they see all of this wood that I have, they'll say, where did you get all that wood? And really the only answer I can give is God provided through different people. Sometimes people in the congregation that I know, but sometimes from complete strangers. I've had friends of friends call me and say, I have trees on this land. Do you want to come cut them up and use them for firewood? And I say, yes, I would love to. And what we see is that as we step out in faith and give to missions, that God provides for our needs and he enables us to do so. You know, the reality is this, is that God does not need your money and God does not need my money to provide for missionaries, right? God could circumvent us and provide for all of their needs. He does not need us. But he chooses to use us in his mission of the redemption of the world. Because the fruit he has to bear in your life is too precious to bypass. God wants you to give to missions sacrificially and generously. So that just as the missionaries have to depend on God for their daily food and rest in him and rely on him and grow in him, God wants you to rely on God for your daily food and for your needs as you give to missionaries and support them. It's amazing because you see the Philippian church giving to Paul generously, abundantly. And Paul says, I know you've given out of your poverty, but don't worry. My God will supply for all of your needs. And so we give for the delight of our souls that we get to know our great provider, the Lord God who cares for all of our needs when we are called into his mission, when we support his mission, both locally and globally. So we should support missions cheerfully and sacrificially to care for missionaries for the delight of our souls. Thirdly, for the glory of God. Verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodite the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is referring to the Old Testament sacrificial system, which God instituted, in which people would bring forth animals, and they would kill them, and they would burn them, and then the smoke would rise up into the air, and it would say that it was a sweet and pleasing aroma to God because it covered over the sins of the people. Here, Paul is heaping up term upon term to explain how precious the Philippian support is to God. He said this is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice acceptable to God. It is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. When the Philippians give to missions sacrificially and cheerfully, it glorifies God because it is evidence of a true religion. It is evidence of people who have grasped the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ is that God gave to us sacrificially. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God gave us his one and only son to come and die, that we might be saved, that we might be brought in back into relationship with God, that we might go from death to life. And as we give to missionaries sacrificially, it is a picture of the gospel. 
that we say we want others to know this God who is above all comprehension and who is our greatest joy. We want to know Christ and make him known, and we will do anything to make that happen. And this is pleasing to God, and it gives glory to God. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When we give to missions, it shows off to a watching world how precious God is to us, how precious Jesus is to us. There's a story of a missionary who was in China, and the old Standard Oil Company offered an enormous sum of money for the missionary to come work for them to be a translator to China. Well, the missionary prayed about it and turned down the offer. And so the company came back, and they doubled the salary. The missionary went, prayed for it, came back and said, no, thank you. Finally, the oil company said, what do we have to do to hire you? We can't give you any more money than we've already offered. Then the missionary responded, the money doesn't have anything to do with it. The problem is the job is too small. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a translator for an oil company in China, if that's what God has called you to. But when we love knowing Christ and making him known above all things, above our toys, above our trinkets, above financial security, when we love knowing Christ and making him known above everything in this world, it makes God look beautiful, which he is. And it gives him glory that many more may come and worship him. And so we should give cheerfully and sacrificially to missions to glorify God. But finally, we should give cheerfully and sacrificially for the salvation of the lost. If you remember in Philippians chapter 1, if you don't, that's okay. But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul begins this letter by writing to his supporter, to his his partners in ministry, the Philippian church. And Paul says in Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, if you remember, Paul was in a Roman prison awaiting a trial by Caesar to see if he would be put to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, this has happened to him to advance the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now let's pause here and look at the historical picture. When this letter was written, Christianity was an unknown little cult. I, I don't even know if it was big enough to be known as a cult. I mean, in the, in the, in the territory of Europe, there were just a couple, a handful of church plants, maybe a hundred believers. There was not much going on. Paul himself was not very well known, much more than being a, a guy who was causing dissension in the community, in the empire. And so you have the apostle Paul, this relatively unknown guy with this really relatively unknown religion, going into the heart of the most powerful an extensive empire in the history of the world. To make things worse, the Caesar of the time was a guy named Nero. You probably heard stories about him. But he was a powerful man and a ruthless man and a wicked man. Nero outlawed Christianity and he infamously 
used to take Christians, capture them, dip them in oil, light them on fire, and light his garden with that at night. Paul's prospect of success in converting the Roman Empire was between zero and none. It wasn't David versus Goliath. It was David versus a whole empire of Goliaths. And the reality of Paul writing this letter from prison was probably not very reassuring for the Philippians who were supporting their missionary. But then we get to the last sentence of this letter, just before the benediction. And Paul says something so glorious that we probably just read over it. But I assure you that when the Philippians read this, this grabbed their hearts. Verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you. And then here it is. Especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. Could you imagine Paul writing that with a wink and a smile? As he is in prison, Paul is telling the Philippians, that although Paul has been imprisoned, the gospel has not. That although the, Paul is in chains, the gospel is running free. That although Paul is weak, the gospel is powerful and is converting the hardest of hearts. Paul wants the Philippians to know that the gospel, against all odds, is triumphing over the entire world. And the kingdom is going forth. Ligon Duncan, one of my favorite preacher, notes about this passage, he says, it does not seem like an accident that Paul waits till the last sentence of this letter to mention this. Paul is showing us the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to convert sinners, even in the hardest of places. Jerome, a theologian many years later, even proposed that Nero's own wife became a Christian. Whether that's true or not, we will not find out this side of heaven. But Paul is telling us that there are even Christians in the household of this wicked Caesar, Nero. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. Christianity spread so rapidly in the Roman Empire in the first four centuries, it is one of the most amazing things that has happened in human history. In less than two centuries after the death of Christ, Tertullian, a Christian writer, says this. He says, and you can follow along on the screen. He says, we, talking about Christians, speaking to the Roman Empire, we are but of yesterday. In other words, we have not been around a long time. This is a new religion, or a renewed religion, however you want to look at it. And yet we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camps, tribes, companies, palace, senate, and forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your God. He's saying God has spread his kingdom everywhere. There are Christians everywhere. There are people who have been born again everywhere except in the temples of idols. No one was forced to convert in Christianity during this time period. In fact, the Roman Empire did everything it could to make sure people didn't convert to Christianity. They would persecute them and martyr them to prevent the spread of Christianity. Yet Christianity spread so fast that it eventually conquered the Roman Empire itself. In 315 AD, the Christian religion, for the first time, 
for the first time, was made legal in the Roman Empire. Less than 75 years later, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, and it was illegal to worship idols. As you look at this historical movement, this amazing historical movement, you wonder how did this tiny, persecuted minority who did not use the sword but used the word, who was marginalized and persecuted, how did they, without any means of mass communication, become the official religion of the Roman Empire in just four centuries? And the only logical answer is that it was the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit transforming lives one into the next. A power so great that it even converted people in Nero's household. And so now I want us to remember How did that movement start? How was the Roman Empire transformed? By one missionary, supported by one poor church. And it changed the entire world. See, when we get to give to missions, we get to participate in the salvation of souls today tomorrow, and for generations to come. This story repeats itself time and time again throughout history, both in large ways and in small ways. You look at the missions into China and how it has transformed that country. But you look even at the local campus where we support people like Adam Umberger with InterVarsity who goes in and, and ministers to the people, and then these people are coming to faith in Christ and they're raising their children to love Christ, and the legacy goes on and on and on. And so as we support missions, We get to support not only missionaries, but we get to support the mission of God itself. We not only partner with missionaries, but we partner with God of the universe who is saving souls today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. And so this is why we should give to missions in 2015, both joyfully and generously. Let me end with this. People might say, maybe you've heard it said, We just need to be like the early church, right? All our problems would be fixed if we were just like the early church. But you have to be careful which church you choose. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written to churches that are entertaining heresy, that are entertaining unrepentant sin. Most of the churches in the New Testament are extremely corrupt, and that's why they get a letter written to them. But then there is the Philippian church. And do you know what they are remembered for? The Philippian church is remembered for remembering their missionaries. Verse 15 again, Paul says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so here is my big audacious challenge for you. My big audacious challenge for you is to adopt a missionary in 2015. Maybe you already have a missionary you give to. That is great. What would it look like to not only care about their mission, but care for the missionary, to love them, to pray for them, to care for them? How can you love them in 2015? Or maybe you're here and you don't support missions or you don't know a missionary to support. 
Well, this past week, I spent way too much time putting together a web page, and I have some screenshots of it for you. And it's a list out of all the missionaries that Jacob's Well supports from its general budget. You can see this is the page. The, the website is listed in your bulletin. You can go ahead through the next. So that's our missions page. We support Pastor Dan Breed in Appleton, who planted Emmaus Road. Go next page. Stephen and Charity Jones, that's my buddy who's coming in a month. We're very excited about they're headed off to England. This is David Krieger, who you'll see next week. He's planting in Walsall, and it's amazing because he's a pastor in Pittsville, and he moves to Walsall. And he's like, in Pittsville, people cared about me. I moved to Walsall, and there's nobody. It's very isolating. Next slide. Ben and Lindsay Leatherberry, who we'll talk about more here in a little bit, ministering among Muslims. Andrew and Laura Kate Lupton, ministering in Bogota, Colombia. Dan and Sherry Quacklar ministering to the marginalized of Milwaukee. Kaylin and Kate Spencer, church planting in Taiwan. John and Carrie Talley, church planting on the east side of Milwaukee to the more affluent neighborhoods. And Adam and Allison Umbarger ministering uh, at UWGB and one more. Mike and Lauren Winsler ministering on the campus of UW Milwaukee. And so you can go on our webpage and you can look up these missionaries. And there are blogs you can connect with. You can email them. Uh, for one of them, that's an undisclosed location, email me and I'll give you their contact info. But this is a great year to love and minister to our missionaries. Maybe you would adopt one as a family. Maybe you would adopt one individually. I know one of our small groups adopts a missionary as a group. That would be a wonderful thing to do. But let us not just be hearers of the word. Let us be doers of the word and love our missionaries well in 2015. And so just to recap, why should we sacrificially and cheerfully give to missions? Why give our money and our time and our prayers and our effort and our love? First, to care for missionaries, ensuring that they are well taken care of. Secondly, for the delight of our souls, because we know it is more blessed to give than to receive. Third, for the glory of God through our sacrificial giving. We not only display God's sacrificial love for us, but depend on his constant provision. And fourthly, for the salvation of the lost, that God's global mission of redemption would continue to move forward in every part of the world. And finally, there is one more reason why I think we should support missions. Is that we as a church, not too long ago, were a mission. And although I stunk at raising money, there were people that supported us. People that you will never meet. And if you have been blessed by this ministry here at Jacob's Well, you have been blessed by people that have supported missions. And not only did it help support Jacob's Well, but it also supported Emmaus Road to get off the ground. And whatever churches come. And so I'd encourage you, as God has so graciously given you, sacrificially and generously, his son Jesus Christ, would it not be good for us to give to those who share him with the rest of the world? I'm going to take a time just to put into practice what we've learned here and have an extended time of prayer. Tim, could you turn off the recording for this, please?